Welcome to Docs in Orbit, where we feature conversations with independent creative documentary filmmakers from around the world. This is Christina Zacriades. In this episode, we pull focus on Visions du Riel, the international documentary film festival held in April each year in Neon, Switzerland. Visions du Riel has a strong reputation in championing creative, contemporary nonfiction cinema and has played a vital role for the independent documentary filmmaking community for decades. And it's been a major source of inspiration for this podcast where we've made several discoveries like El Father Plays Himself, Looking for Horses, My Mexican Bretzel, Faya Day, the list goes on and on. And this year, the 2022 selection is full of promise with more than 160 films on display and a wide spectrum of forms, including many hybrid works. Before making my way to Neon, I had the great pleasure to speak with Emily Bouges, the artistic director of the festival, for what really felt like a personal masterclass on programming with insight into her journey in film curation and influences along the way. Emily also walks me through the international feature film competition that features 16 films, most of which are world premieres and over half from first-time feature filmmakers. And we also briefly touch on one of the non-competitive sections and one of my personal favorites, Latitudes. So, without further ado, here's the conversation. How are you? So nice to talk to you. I know, it's so great to be able to talk to you. I'm good, how are you? I mean, the the festival programming is so massive and so beautiful and so incredible. How are these last few days leading up to it? Well, it's... uh... I mean, for me, like I was, I was asked yesterday, you know, like how stressed I am right now. And of course I'm stressed because there is a lot to do still. And there is, it's the moment where you think, oh my God, you know, we haven't done that and we haven't done that and we haven't done that. On the other side, uh, it's also a stress that is much more, you know, uh, superficial than it was when we were doing the lineup. When we do the lineup, I'm very kind of like, you know, stressed in my you know, it's like really this inner stress, like I really want the lineup to be good and I'm looking and I'm scratching and I'm, and, and now it's like, okay, there is this and this and this to do, but it's like, it's, it's different. So I feel comfortable right now. Oh, good. Well, thank you for taking time. It's such an honor and such a privilege and such a pleasure for me to be able to talk to you about it. So I appreciate your time. Same here, really. So excited to actually, it'll be my first time being there in person. And I have this in my heart, a very tender space for Visions de Riel because it is the festival that Docs in Orbit launched um, coinciding with it. So um, it was during it was during the pandemic that this whole project kind of emerged and seeing the courage that and the leadership that Visions de Riel took during that very uncertain time to decide, you know, we're going to make the effort and we're going to go online and we're going to carry these fest- these films. And it, it really instilled a lot of courage for, for me and for a lot of the contributors here. So if it wasn't for Visions de Real, I don't think that we would exist either. That's, so. that's very nice to know. I, I didn't know. I'm, I'm, we are very flattered. 
No, and so in like for two, the two year mark for for us is going to be um, is going to be actually being physically there. So it's a really wonderful way to celebrate our birthday. <laughs> um, and but I'd love to get so I'd love to hear about your journey into programming and curation? Well, so, yes, uh, I I studied, uh, actually, like, to, to tell the whole story. Yeah. I, I, I really wanted to be an actress, and that's what I, I was thinking of and planning to do while finishing college. And then I talked to my um, dramatic art teacher and asked her if she thought I would be able to do it, and she said that I was too shy somehow. And so I thought I'm gonna do art history, but it was something that not, was not like you know I did I like if I think about it afterwards, actually I should have studied film, it would have made much more sense. But anyway, it was interesting to have that path because of course it kind of nourished me in another way. So I did that, and then uh, I moved to Berlin, and I somehow was drawn back to you know moving images more on the artistic side, so more like video art. And so I started to work as a curator, but like very much interested in artistic practice related to moving images. And because I was researching and looking for things all the time, I started to attend some festivals. Attending festival was really, really inspiring for me because somehow I didn't quite fit in the country arts context. I felt like the discussion were not exactly the kind of discussion I wanted to have. And on the other side, in the film context, I would have this really exciting discussion because in country arts, for instance, I would create a show. I would know, you know, you need at least, let's say, two hours to see it properly. And people get out after 10 minutes and tell you how great it is. And then you think, okay, but like, what did you actually really see, you know? And that's the issue because uh, it's not the fault of the audience. It's just that people visiting museums or, or art center are more used to kind of not stay so long. And so it's really hard actually to really share content that I was interested in with those kind of people having this kind of expectations. Right. And yeah. so on the other side, in festivals, I would have those incredible discussion with that person saying, oh, my God, and this sequence after 52 minutes is incredible. No. And I would think, oh, my God. Yeah. You know, but then I, I met the former director of Vision Duvel at a party and uh, in, in Berlin. It's, it's a fun story because it was a, a a Mexican party with the tequila and mariachi. So he got quite drunk at some point, gave me twice his business card and somehow we got along <laughs> great. And he offered me to start doing things there. And I was really new. I didn't know anything. And uh, the first year I did Q&As. The second year I started to be in the selection committee. And then I remained until he went away and I took over his job, basically. Mm. That's really interesting what you were saying with time, because that's something that's fascinating is how much time we spend, whether it's with films or whether it's with art. And, and you're so right. I think that people kind of go into galleries, they look at something or they look at many things. And sometimes it's just special just to sit with one thing and just explore how you're, what it brings up for you, you know, what you're drawn to and, um, and sitting with those responses, I think is like a really important engagement. I'm sure you get asked this all the time about films. Like, is there a film that really changed the way that you think about things? Or, But was there ever sort of like a piece of work? It doesn't have to be film, but even if it's just like a, a painting or an object or a sculpture that has stayed with you? I mean, there are definitely paintings that I really love and painters that I really love and feel closer to. 
as you were exactly saying, you know, I'm not sure that I'm able because I think it's really something that relates to oneself. Because, for instance, in art history, you spend a whole semester on one painting, you know, and mm -hmm. it does. I mean, I, I can't do it like in terms of analyzing the different elements, but it's not like emotionally I'm really somehow connecting in the same way I can connect to a film. So I think that I would definitely go to film if I want to, you know, think it would be really hard to name one piece. I grew up in a, in a small town. Uh, and so the cinema program was very kind of like, you know, generic without bad judgment. I, I really also love generic films, but <laughs> it's not like I can say, oh my God, I watched my first Jean-Luc Godard at 12. That's, that would be a lie. <laughs> uh, when I arrived in Berlin though, that's the moment when I started to attend every day the, the the arsenal there which is the, the cinema where they have yeah. all the archives as well and uh and that's there that i had experiences that i still remember you know you still remember how you felt what happened bodily because i think that's what's very interesting in for me in film and that also goes back to the, this idea of time is that you know it it has an influence on you bodily and for instance i can definitely remember the sound of uh, Chantal Zakerman um, East, you know, because it was a proper film, you know, of course. And oh, I can't right. remember because it was an old copy. I can remember the sound of the film rolling in the in the projector. I can also remember dogs, you know, because I was, of course, attending the Berlinale each year. And I remember some dogs that were somehow in the moment, I thought, very hardcore. And then you, afterwards, I realized somehow really fed me as well. Then, you know, it changes you somehow in a in a definite way so for instance also thinking of a philip chef now that we mm. uh, i invited for my first edition as an atelier do you know do you, have you seen his films i just saw his recent year uh, is it europe yes i just saw it at the berlin alley i was blown away so i haven't seen any of his previous works but it's, it's fantastic it's really it's fantastic and it's very very you know, like for it's for it's it's the for me there is something with with this work that always works the same somehow it's it's very delicate you know it's not mm -hmm. not flashy at all it it grows slowly but yeah. it's like it's built he's building up something within you mm -hmm. and then at some point you're like okay now you know i see what you were doing and and i remember for instance the first time i saw the day of the sparrow which is a, a film that he made that i love and i was watching it with my best friend and i remember this moment where suddenly i'm thinking oh my god this is so great and where he's like turning to me and saying wow this is really a great film and and again it's like very sensitive but it's kind of like builds something and i really like that also you know it's a feeling that i guess you can get in literature you know when for instance, there is one book of Marguerite Duras that I love, and there is also one book of, of Emmanuel Carrère, who was at, at Nyon last year, and I'm, I'm, I'm aiming those two because it's two books where there are two histories that are crossing each other like that, and you spend a long time kind of like reading with interest, but without understanding how, you know, they connect to each other. And at some point they connect, but not in an obvious way, not in an obvious way, of course. And then like everything is, you know, like suddenly doing like kind of getting an energy, which is really overwhelming. Mm. What are the titles for the Margaret Duras? And the... Uh, Margaret Duras is uh, Jan Andrea Steiner and Emmanuel Carrère is called in French, D'autres vies que la mienne. So life different than mine or other life than mine. Or... I'm not sure this one is translated actually. 
Oh, okay. Well, that would be a shame. I know that there's a book in the local bookshop here of his. Was it Klimanov? It or... It's a collection of his of his short stories, I think. Okay. And what about documentary and nonfiction cinema specifically? Well, I mean, it's a bit controversial. I think that I love nonfiction, but I would be. I have not. I'm not like those kind of person that are, you know, born for nonfiction and will stay in nonfiction forever. I'm in love with cinema in general, and I think that nonfiction is really interesting because uh, it's getting freer and freer, and I'm more interested as it gets freer and freer. I think that you know, the more hybrid it is, the more interesting I'm getting somehow. It would be also exciting to not to have these limitations because sometimes, you know, you wonder if this is too hybrid, too fictional, for instance. I mean, with Europe, I think there will be a lot of discussions. Mm. Uh, I'm happy to have them, but, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's a frame somehow that you have to understand how to, to deal with in the best way. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that that interest in cinema, not whether it's fiction or documentary or these labels or, you know, the genres or, or um, designations, but just the idea of it being a piece of cinema is reflected in a lot of the gems that I feel I have found in your past curations. So for instance, what comes to mind is um, one of my favorite discoveries from Visions de Riel a couple years ago was my Mexican pretzel. Oh, yeah. And that just like completely blew me away. And we invited um, we invited the filmmaker onto the podcast to talk more about this freedom that documentary or nonfiction provides, but also being able to infuse elements or bring in elements of fiction to be able to tell the truth. So yeah. she did that so perfectly. And, and I know, and I know that the, in looking through the program, there's a few films that I'm noticing already, like Forgers and of course Europe, which we talked about, that also kind of have that same energy. Well, there are many films. I mean, this year, really, when I was proofreading the, the, the printed program, I realized that the, the word fiction is, I think, in one third or half of the film. So I think that it's really... As you say, it's really something that is at, in the DNA of the festival and, uh, and is related to this position of saying, you know, it's film. So, again, you know, we want to be as free as possible. And, of course, the directors really are super free. I mean, the one we are connected to. So there is something that is, you know, very joyful and very open and, and again, very free. And also the guest of honor, I noticed, is its tradition is to award it to a nonfiction filmmaker that also works in fiction is that am I is that right yeah 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 you also said earlier that you go to tons of festivals you're you're consuming a lot of films constantly I've spoken to a lot of programmers on this podcast and it's its own art form in and of itself so I'm curious how you you approach it as a creative craft well first I think that it's important to know that when you have to program a hundred and more than 120 films, there are many things that are very much beyond our taste and, and interest, of course. You know, the fact that we watch a lot of films somehow makes us sharper in our eyes and also more demanding because, of course, there is this feeling sometimes necessarily that, okay, we have seen that, we know that. You know, so we are looking for something either it's that 
maybe we know about it, but it's going to be approached in a very, very new way. Or it's just striking somehow because, of course, it's nonfiction. So there is something about, you know, realities that we are not aware of. And sometimes it is striking. For sure, what is for us the core and the essence is there is this feeling of, you know, someone who has to say something and who has a very clear and ambitious idea about how to say it. What is going to be said somehow is secondary Mm -hmm. for us because, of course, you know, again, everything is interesting. So it's really a matter of how are you going to tell us that? Because uh, the fact that you're telling it is just not going to be enough. Mm -hmm. So it's really like in terms of building the program, first we take the, the, the objects that feels the stronger to us, either, you know, like somehow taken away with on a, on a very emotional level, whatever that means, or kind of like super original or uh, super uh, ambitious, adventurous, or that feel, you know, kind of like also big stones, you know, some films, they arrive and you feel like, you know, it's big, it's there, it's holding, everything is kind of very solid. And on the other side, next to it, there is a film that maybe is going to be super fragile or much more like sensitive and delicate and still, you know, they have to to live together. So it's really first about, you know, taking the object that we feel somehow the most convinced of. And then from that point, when it gets kind of difficult and painful, because then we have to you know, build a program around them and understand, you know, how to have more approaches and more uh, more countries and more, more different kind of people and more different kind of, you know, feelings in the film. So it's really then about building the whole program. Because w- what is also in our DNA is this idea to, you know, stretch a vision as far as possible in both directions. So it's really about having like, somehow there is this, line of films that we feel very close to somehow the films that you expect to find in our program if you know the kind of films we program and the idea is from this line to you know stretch stretch in both directions have films that are much more adventurous than that without being boring really important and films that are going to be much more you know kind of like pop or uh, much more produced somehow much more you know kind of like bigger that gives another feel also because we really want to, to to be sure that the spectrum of films is really as wide uh, as possible also for the audience because you know if you program for instance uh, a festival in new york or in berlin you have much more freedom and much more audience potential than we have in our case you know we have also a lot of local audience and we have to make sure that we don't antagonize them so it's really about having films that are going to be suitable for the weekend for people that, you know, just want to come and watch a film. Then we have the films that are going to be more interesting for the industry. And then we have like all those things that are in between on one side or the other. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I like what you said about how you describe these as like when you're, when you're watching all these films, like there's some stones and there's some that are really fragile. Yeah. And I'm just really curious about when it comes to putting them together, when it comes to sort of like actually putting it, putting a program together and taking into consideration your audience, taking into consideration the industry, taking into consideration, you know, all these ways in which you're trying to stretch and, and, and create a platform of, you know, contemporary practices and and nonfiction cinema. I'm just wondering what sort of um, 
what sort of things are you grappling with? Like what, what, what sort of like questions are you asking yourself or your team or? Well, I mean, again, you know, it's really, uh, it really goes step by step. So it's really first, you know, kind of like taking the evident film, the ones we love the most. And that's, you know, somehow for us, confidentially forever uh, are going to be remaining the ones that, you know, that we cherish and we love and that will stay with us forever, which is, of course, not not the case of all the films, uh, which is fine because, I mean, some that maybe are less important for me are more important for one or the other and are more important for, for the audience. But it's it's really like that. It's really like for me, you know, in each section, there are like a few films that are really actually at the core of the section. And when I have those, you know, then it's really about, you know, I, I, I spend a lot of time. I'm saying I because I can, there is a part of the lineup that is also ending up after they are gone because we need the confirmation. And, you know, like at the end, there is like, some titles confirm and you need to add some and there are those films that are somehow in the air and uh, and and then you have to decide and it's like really like i'm really looking at the list and really trying to understand the picture it's creating you know it's really it's silly because i know i'm very aware that very few people will watch all the films in one section so actually almost nobody will get you know what we were doing with this fucking international feature competition for instance but still for me and for us as programmer as you well know it's really essential to you know have the feeling that those 16 titles together are just like saying something that we feel is really important and so they somehow you know then so let's say for instance there are maybe five at the beginning and with those five, you know, you're going to add that and then you're going to add that and then you're going to add that in order to have this picture. So it's really about kind of like step by step. It's like a puzzle. It's the same with the guests, you know, with the guests, for instance, there are three guests and it's really important that those three guests are saying three different things and somehow also together, are, you know, creating a discourse because, of course, we want the festival also to have you know, the festival has a clear identity and it's really essential for me that this identity is readable. So there are those triggers, they are really, really different. And still, if you look carefully, you're going to understand where we are, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's the same. So I'm going to invite one guest and then maybe he or she is going to say no. So I have to change the two other guests because it doesn't work anymore. Mm -hmm. And with the film, it's the same. So it's really like kind of like step by step and adding and making sure that you know, okay, we have already one film with archives, so we want like a first person film, we want an observational film, we want a film that, you know, is a bit more adventurous formally, we want a film that is, again, maybe emotionally kind of like, uh, we want direct cinema, we want everything, you know, it's really about kind of like allowing to have a, to give an idea of how the shape of things Mm, yeah now I understand what you're talking about in terms of the emotional stress of putting that together because it's like yeah it's like things are working and then somebody says no or something happens exactly and then you have to yeah then you have to lose your other baby and you you know you have to find a whole nother family basically Yeah. yeah wow 
Well, going through the program, I, I'm just, again, like I'm just really excited and very mesmerized by the collection. So um, I can't imagine that those were easy choices, but they ended, where, where it ended up seems shimmering <laughs> as a word that was used to describe the, the program in, in the press <laughs> notes, <laughs> because it is, it is very shimmering. Um, so, okay. So actually, I'd love to hear a little bit more. It's a more practical question. But um, about how the program comes together. So you mentioned 3,000 submissions, was it? It was yeah. 3,000 submissions. We've got, I think, is it 160 films? No, 160 is with the, the, all the, the, the special guests. Oh, okay. So okay. it's, oh, 120, right. it's 124 new films. What is the, the screening process like? And does the selection committee work across all of the festival sections? Or do you have programmer-specific for, you know, Grand Angle and for Latitudes and yeah. So can you talk a little bit about more of the, like the practical nuts and bolts of it? So we do it the hardcore way. So we do everything together. And I think this is what allows us to create a coherence, you know, throughout the whole program, because each one of us knows what is, you know, in the other section. So each one of us is able to pick and also add so when when they do pre-selection, you know, they know the kind of object we are looking for in general. But as the process moves along, they know also in particular, you know, what we are still missing potentially. So uh, basically what we do is that those 3000 films are going to be basically shared amongst the selection committee member. This year it was six people and we have a system of grades. So, you know, if this film gets this grade, it's going to be shared to one other person. If it gets this grade, it's going to be shared with everybody. And if it gets this grade, it has to be watched really fast. So that's basically how it works. Each film gets a note and each film is watched. And then this year we met three times because I had the, the sentence during the middle. So it was a bit of a mess. And so we spent more or less approximately three weeks together. We watched the films that feels the most, you know, urgent and relevant. And some of them, you know, are like evidences. So we're going to take them directly. And for others, they stay there because there is also this thing that I learned from the previous director that I really keep as a very good advice you know he told me when you're not sure about a film you wait two days and you see how you feel about it and so again you know there are those films that somehow are in the process the whole time discuss discuss and some of them are gonna get into the lineup and some some not great yeah i would really love to go through the different sections um from a general perspective and i know that you're not allowed to tell us like which ones are the keystones i might try to <laughs> you, you can try as much as you like no problem but i won't say anything maybe they'll just be my own theories <laughs> yeah um, that's that's very fine <laughs> let's go to the international competition because that's how many films do we have here oh wait here's my list 16 yeah 16 films wow okay yeah it's a lot normally normally it's supposed to be 15 but there was one that came late and i had to add it so yeah i, I wouldn't be able to pick it actually maybe it's five dreamers and a horse you know that he's the son of this legendary Armenian director, right? No, I didn't. Which one? Yeah, his father is Arutyun Kashatrian. I got to know him thanks to the former director of Vision du Réel and because he he wanted to do a, a retro of his work. So I remember I was drive, I was taking a very long train trip and I was watching like all his, all his films after one another and they are really, really amazing. Oh, wow. I'm, yeah. not, familiar, I'm not familiar with his father's work, but... Um... You should check it out. So 16 films in total. Can you talk a little bit in general about what 
what sort of gems sure. they are. Uh, it's going to take too much time. So you have to cut me at some point because I talk too much about films. So there is Five Dreamers and a Horse, which is very much for me like a frame film, you know, this, this films that very much rely upon how things are framed, which I think is a, a very interesting approach. And you have different characters and together they create a certain image of Armenia today, which, you know, uh, in, in a very, again, maybe not unsimilar to what I was saying before, you know, like how you, you have th different pieces that together create something at some point, you know, mm -hmm. there, it's, there is this absurd uh, scenes with this lady that is, whose job is to run an, an elevator. Then there is this guy who is looking for a wife on the countryside. And then there are two girls queer on a, on a rooftop you know very much like much more somehow closer to a, a western you know uh, understanding of life that's a first feature really also very important to know is that nine out of the 16 aren't our first features oh wow yeah and it's also something that of course we cherish you know to kind of say that our job is really to dig and allow new people to enter the circuit and not necessarily only you know play the, the established names or um, only a holy family is a very delicate, graceful family portrait, basically. You know, how is it when, when you are abroad, away to go back home and share the difficulties of, again, being home when you're not anymore somehow. So mm. very, again, very, very sensitive first, first person film. All of our heartbeats are connected through Exploding Stars. Very great title. Amazing title. <laughs> yeah, uh, about a tsunami that devastated Japan. And it's really about what remains somehow, you know, about bits and pieces, memory, uh, objects, like everything that somehow has been destroyed, what, what remains, what is there afterwards. So it's really quite a sensorial film. There is a very long sequence underwater that is really, really amazing. Uh, you know, again, very experiential, very experiential, very sensorial somehow. You know, how can you can one evoke the loss, different kind of losses related to that event? Yeah. Bitter Brush is more of a like co-girls Western like uh, film by Emily Madavian. Uh, so this one is like really kind of looking like fiction. Those two cowgirls, you know, spending a summer taking care of the cows, sharing their universe the space that they are evolving in and of course the the relationship that is you know mm -hmm. kind of like unfolding unfolding between the two of them then there is Shaila uh, from France also first film which is a very impressive uh, portrait of this young woman whose name is Shaila uh, who was in a in a violent relationship and is trying to free herself from it it's really uh, a very respectful, committed, and affectionate portrait of this nonfiction heroine. Uh, very impressive. Then there is Dog Watch, uh, which is uh, a Greek film uh, talking about mercenaries that used to have this crazy, you know, adventurous life on the coastline of, of Somali. And uh, things are getting more, more quiet. So what happens, you know, when you had this life and then suddenly things are getting more quiet? You know, how can you reinvent yourself? Uh, formally, it's very, um, 
striking formerly because there are many images uh, shot, you know, on 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 board of this huge boat on on the sea. So it's like you know these images that you feel like. I think it's going to be great to see it on the yeah. big screen. I'm really looking forward to that. The trailer looks amazing and very yeah, cinematic. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's exactly that's that's exactly thanks and, for the help. It's very very cinematic. Yeah. And every anything in the synopsis with the word absurdity in it always makes my list. <laughs> <laughs> always makes it on my watch list. I feel very I feel very related to that. Then there is Eclaireuse which is uh, the, the maybe the opposite actually of of dog watch somehow it's a portrait of those two women that are uh, have created this spe special school for migrant kids in Belgium that you know those kids that are arriving from foreign countries are lost somehow and they are trying with so much love to kind of like help them being kids again you know a film that uh, is really kind of like diving into a social space and observing it and again with characters that are um, very committed very touching and you can understand and see that's very close to them she made before Lydia Vishov you might have seen it Killing Time yeah, yes very tender so, as well yeah exactly you know a really great director that is really able to again translate you know universe and, and, and characters in a very sensitive way then there is Foragers that you have seen this one, this one's interesting. Jumana Mana. I've seen a few of her shorts before. She does this blend of documentary and fiction. It's interesting that I think this also, this film also has origins and installation, if I'm not mistaken. And now it's yeah, making yeah, its yeah. way into feature. Or, or I, installation. I'm not quite sure, but for sure, it's it it was born in the in in, in as part of a larger kind of like research artistic work. We have many films that are from from people that come from art, actually. We're going to have a talk about that, actually, during the festival. Great. How to Save a Dead Friend is this super dramatic and somehow rough, but not in a, not in a, in a bad way. It's like this history of the director uh, who was somehow quite depressed and met this young boy uh, whose name was Kimi, with whom she had this amazing love story. But the guy, uh, the, Kimi, was uh, quite self-destructive. And so we follow over 10 years through archive their love story, difficulties up and down. And as a backdrop, there is, of course, definitely the, the idea of a Russian youth that is silenced and a bit lost. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it sounds intense. Yeah, it's very intense. Then there is Inner Lines by Thierry van der Verde, who is a, a friend of the festival. He has presented several films and has had an atelier a few years ago. This one is uh, shot in, in the Ararat, around the Ararat, and is about, you know, kind of like these lines that are along the conflict line, the war lines. So it's really a portrait of, you know, everything that is happening in a region that is under conflict and how people react to it. But it's really, it's a very, very poetic approach. Yeah, the trailer for that feels very sacred. Like there's this yeah mystical aspect to it. I don't know. There, It's a... Gorgeous, gorgeous trailer. It's, it, his work is really like that. It's very coherent uh, in relation to what he has made before. It's very kind of, of course, a very political film, that, but through a language that is pervaded with poetics and with something that is, you know, almost spiritual, let's say. Yeah. I'm looking forward to this one. You will tell me. You will have to tell me about everything. Huh? We will have a proper <laughs> yeah. debriefing. 
Uh, then there is Lilo, uh, which is a Swiss film that is really, really great. We were very, very happy to discover it. It's a portrait of those two guys that are uh, in charge of security around a river. We could have used the word absurdity in that case as well, because they are kind of like doing security around a river in an area of Lausanne, which is a Swiss large town, but actually not such a big town. And, and it's about their friendship. And there is something, I'm, I'm not saying too much because I don't want to do any spoiler, but basically it falls into something that is, uh, you know, kind of like very fictional or magical, let's say. Then there is Ma Vie en Papier, which is a film by uh, this Iranian director based in Belgium that met uh, her family coming from Syria. And she's spending a lot of time with the two girls and talking about what they lost, what they have left there and how they, how they imagine the future. Then there is My Old Man, which is the other Swiss film from the international competition, which is a film about this guy who was uh, an ordinary, let's say, businessman, has been traveling his whole life and then suddenly uh, is retired and goes back home and has never been home. So it's an issue for him and for everybody else. So it's about the director's dad. So it's really, again, a family portrait and how things can be complicated and how you can solve them and meeting him again somehow. Then there is Rojek, and it's a very impressive film that is composed out of incredible aerial views of Syria interspaced with jihadist member of ISIS that are in prison. Quite, of course, impressive that, you know, it's a woman making that film, getting the authorization to have this discussion with them. So it's like, yeah, quite a striking film. Still Life is a film that follows the path of a train uh, along some um, lead mines in Peru going down from 4,800 meters down until the Pacific Ocean. So it's really kind of like, of course, a portrait of life, work, difficult conditions. Uh, and again, a lot of changes because it goes from 5,000 to zero. Very strong cinematography again. And then last but not least, there is Tara, co-direction between uh, Francesca Bertin and Volker Sattel. Volker Sattel, I had seen one film by him that I quite liked in the past at the Berlinale a few, few years ago, a while ago. And this one is a, a portrait of everything around a, a river in Italy, which is called Tara, which is supposed to have these healing properties. And, you know, there is something that is quite a nice kind of like countryside somehow, you know, along the river, green and beautiful and laughter and summer. But at the end, you can see that at the end of the, of the river, there is this, uh, this big industrial uh, factory that, of course, has a really bad influence of, on everything. So it's this portrait of a region that has different facets somehow. Well, very cool. So that's uh, so 16 films in total. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a lot and such a great range and a great representation of different concerns. And then what about latitude? So this is non-competitive section. Yeah. Um, in the past, I've had great discoveries in this section. I think yeah. this is a section where my Mexican pretzel was at a couple of years ago. Yeah, yeah it was, yes. Um, I see Malitzen, 17. Yeah. It was on my watch list at Rotterdam, but I didn't get a chance to see it. I'm really excited to see see that. But can you talk a little bit about the thinking and the approach and the profile for Latitudes? But just so you know, first of mm -hmm. all, that Malintzin, she has presented the film as part of our works in progress last year or two years ah. ago. 
So we have been in very, very close touch because she really felt that it was really useful for her to come to New and I mean, it was digital, but to kind of like have that experience, have those exchanges. So we have been in very, we have been in very close touch. So in that case, it's really a film coming home somehow. This one is, I mean, it's like latitude is really in French, latitude means, means freedom as well. Oh, okay. Interesting. And, and it's really basically, I mean, on one side, it's about, so theoretically, ideally, it would be in terms of programming in between the, the international feature uh, length competition and Grand Angle. So something that is potentially a bit less adventurous, but that is a bit more adventurous than Grand Angle. But then again, I cannot follow that rule too strictly because it's also about films that we would have loved to have in our competition. We couldn't because we lost the world premiere, let's be honest, for instance. And then there are like also films that somehow don't exactly match the international feature competition, don't exactly match Cantongue, and that we say, hey, if you like, still you can come. So that's why we also have uh, two world premieres in that section. And we love Latitude. It's not like for us, it's a sidebar. So it's really like, again, a mix of very different uh, things. For instance, you will find the new film by very famous uh, Austrian director, Ruth Beckerman. I don't know if you heard about that from the Berlinale. Mm -hmm. It won an award at the Berlinale. Yes, at the Encounters Award, exactly. Then there is, for instance, uh, Jonathan Perel's new film, Republic of Silence, I have been following for years. Uh, it's a three-hour film by Diana Algeroudi a very, very emotional film. And it was obvious that I really wanted to have that in the lineup because it's a film that we feel very close to and that, again, we have been following for years. It was shown in Venice. Also in Venice was uh, Atlantide okay. by Yuri Ankarani. Mm -hmm. You know, obvious choice. Also because, you know, Yuri Ankarani, I think, is also adding something else formally to the whole lineup. So I'm really happy also to, you know, add things there that maybe are still missing, you know, think, okay, so then we add Yuri Ankarani, we have this very pop. Very Yes, pop. and then, Good you way. know, you also have Silver Bird and Rainbow Fish, which is an incredible film, all in uh, animation, a very, very sensitive uh, animation and kind of like embracing the whole story of China through the, the, the family story uh, of the director. And uh, this one was, for instance, also in the Tiger competition in, in Rotterdam. Uh, and then again, you know, two, those two, two world premieres of films that, again, you know, somehow were in the right place in this, uh, in this selection. It's not so many titles. So for me, it's also a good way to, you know, still there is a visibility, you know, it's 11 titles, it's not 20. Mm -hmm. And the two world premieres are Silent Love and Things I Could Never Tell My Mother? Exactly. Wonderful. And, and by the way, mm -hmm. I, I mean, I didn't mention all of them, but also... There is this film that I, I caught uh, like by chance, uh, which is called Avendredi Robinson, which was also in Berlin. And it's this dialogue, because I don't know if you're aware, but I, I am familiar with Jean-Luc Godard. We made this exhibition with him two years ago. Ah. And this is a dialogue between Jean-Luc Godard and this, this very famous Iranian director and writer, Ebrahim Golestan. And, and it's, a, it's a very sweet and funny kind of like, um, you know, video exchange, sound exchange between the two of them. I'm looking forward to seeing that one as well. I missed it in Berlin. Before we go, any last minute, other things that are happening on the side? The karaoke. Oh, wait. Super karaoke? important. Uh oh. I hope you will be there on the Wednesday. No, you don't. 
<laughs> no, but if you sing bad, it's better. The good singers, they are no fun. Okay. Okay. So when's the karaoke? <laughs> On Wednesday, okay. the 13th. I'll be there. That's my last day. So I'll go, is... I'll shame myself, and then I'll leave. Perfect. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate all this time and taking me through thoroughly the programming and insight into all the, the things that went into putting this wonderful, beautiful, exquisite selection together. So I really appreciate it. It's I hope so, you it's have... It's so nice. But, so, you know, it's so nice for me to be talking with someone that knows, understands, watches, reads everything and kind of like, you know, understands so well. It's, it's, it's very lovely for me as well. I appreciate that. Thanks for listening. Visions to Real runs through April 7th to the 17th in Neon and will also offer a selection of films and masterclasses online. And stay tuned here for more coverage of the festival in the coming days. This episode was co-produced by Christina Zachariades in Brooklyn, Eileen Guckman in Zurich, and with original music by Naeem Mahboub in Stockholm. Special thanks to Ursula Fander and Fanny Graf. And as always, if you like what you just heard, please be sure to rate and review so that more documentary film lovers can find us.